Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. All right, friends, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We kicked off our brand new series last week, Acts, the Holy Spirit and His Unstoppable Church. Not our unstoppable church, but His Unstoppable Church. And so turn with me to the book of Acts. If you're new to the Bible, don't know where Acts is, that's okay. Just go to the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right after John is the book of Acts. Or just use your table of contents. That's all, that always works as well. All right, Acts chapter one, we're gonna look at verses 12 through 26 today, and we're gonna read it all up front. We don't normally do that. Um, I don't know why I don't normally do that, but we're gonna do it today and see, see if that could be really helpful. Sometimes this is a more unfamiliar passage, and so I wanna give us a big picture, and then we're gonna dig in verse by verse together. So let's start out in Acts chapter one, verse 12, reading together. All right, here's what God's word says. Then they, that's the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, they were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together were about 120 and said, brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first, his body burst open, his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language that the field is called, oh man, this, this one always trips me up. Hakeldama, there we go, Hakeldama. That is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate. Let no one live in it and let someone else take his position. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, you, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas has left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. Lord Jesus, speak now through your word. I pray that you would make your word so clear to our hearts that you would let your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that even though the world is dark, that the, the, that the light of your word would shine so brightly in this place, and that we would even thirst for your word, like the psalmist David says, when the deer uh, pants for water, we, we, we would just be thirsty for a word from God this evening and be expectant for you to move in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so tonight's the... The title for tonight's sermon is How to Discern the Will of God. How to Discern the Will of God. If you're taking notes, write that at the top. 
Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 24. And in case you missed last week, in case you weren't here for the series uh, kickoff, that's okay. I'm going to recap for us. Last week, we introduced the book of Acts. And here's what we fixed our eyes on last week. Just a few things. First of all, that the disciples had witnessed Jesus rise from the grave. Jesus spent 40 days with them, okay, teaching them some more, um, revealing himself to many different uh, witnesses. Paul even tells us later in Corinthians, Jesus showed up to 500 people at one time. So sometimes large crowd, uh, like a group of people, and then sometimes he just hung out with the disciples that were already following him. But he taught them, he encouraged them, he ate with them. I mean, he was really raised from the dead. And then he took them to the Mount of Olives and before Jesus ascended back to heaven, so he died on the cross, he was resurrected and then he was gonna ascend back to heaven. Before he went, he gave them the assurance of this promise. So the first thing we looked at last week was the promise from the Father. What was the promise? It was that the Father and the Son would send the Holy Spirit to the disciples. And so Jesus said, go into Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the promise to come the promise of the Spirit. Then Jesus, the Son of God, commissioned the disciples. He said, you're gonna be witnesses, friends. You're gonna go into this world and tell people about me and about my gospel and that they can be made right with God if they just repent and believe. You're gonna be my witnesses to that. So go and do that from the places closest to you to the ends of the earth. That's your destiny, church. And then, lastly, we looked at the power of the Spirit. God's not gonna send you out empty-handed, Jesus told his disciples, and he reminded us last week through the word. He doesn't send us empty-handed. He gives us everything he needs through his unstoppable power. It's unlimited power. Remember that word dunamis last week we looked at? It means like dynamite. It's our English word dynamite. It's what it's derivative from. It means explosive power that God gives us to reach this world. And so we ended last week's message with we need to release that power into the world. So where do we get to tonight. Well, that was really awesome and everything, but then they kind of came to the place where they were gathered together and they had an important decision to make. And I don't know where you're at tonight, but I would venture to say that there are many of you in this room that have an important decision to make. Is that fair? Do you, do you have an important decision to make that's coming up? I mean, it's a big life change. Maybe it's not a huge life change, but maybe it's still a really important decision that you've got to think through. We all have to think through the future at some point. Hopefully we are. Hopefully we're not just taking it uh, day by day all the time. So we, we have all these different situations where we just need God to speak his will into. And I bet almost all of us would also say, I want to know the will of God. If I could know the mind of God right now, like what does he want for my life? I mean, is anybody down with that? Like, I, like I'm, come on, Lord, hit me with it. Yeah, we need to stay desperate for that day after day after day. But God makes it really clear for us. So we're gonna unpack how we know the will of God. How do we know what God wants versus just what we want? Have you thought about that before? How do you separate out what Brandon wants from what God wants? How do I know it's really the Holy Spirit speaking to me in this matter? Or is this just simply my preference and I'm asking God to put his holy stamp of approval on what I've already decided? That's kind of a challenging thought, right? So we're gonna dig in to the word tonight. But this whole topic just reminded me of when I was a kid and I used to play with this toy right here. We're gonna put it up on, anybody else have one of these? It's a magic eight ball. They were the best. Okay, you can still get them from Walmart for like 10 bucks. And you take the eight ball, you guys know how it works, right? You do what? 
pick it up, you ask it a question. Magic eight ball. Will this girl or boy be my girlfriend or boyfriend? You know, it's usually something like that. Or, or, uh, or is, you know, you're sitting there with your buddies. Is my friend stupid? You know, and you shake it up or whatever. You know, just weird, silly stuff. And you pick it up and then you do what? You shake it up. And like all this like water apparently is inside of it. I don't know, it's kind of weird. But anyway, it sounds like some things are going on inside. And then, and then you stop and then finally, without a doubt, don't count on it. All right, Toy Story, you guys seen Toy Story? Woody, you know, he shakes up the eight ball. He's, he's trying, to, and usually the way we did it is we kept on shaking it until it said what we wanted it to say. And here's what's so crazy about the magic eight ball, okay? It's not just some silly toy. What it reminds me of is, is a couple of things, and this is what we do with the will of God and, and with his word sometimes. We go, a couple of things. Number one, magic eight ball approach. I wanna be able to control it. I wanna have control. So picture yourself with that magic eight ball. You're holding on tight. You're shaking it. You know what you want it to say, and you're in control. And you gotta admit that when it said what you wanted it to say, you felt in control. You were like, yeah, that's what I thought. The second thing, not only do we want control, we want instant results. It's as simple as shake that bad boy up, instant results. Roll the dice, there you have it. You have your answer. Not so with the Lord right? In fact, this is the complete opposite. It's actually, he's in complete control, and we're not. In fact, it's his results, not our results. And even in his time and in his way, it's actually his journey. And our lives are even his in the first place because he gives us life and breath. Every breath you're inhaling and exhaling right now is a gift from him. And so, all things are ultimately for his glory. And so here's a quick snapshot of the sermon tonight just to give you where we're going, just so you can kind of see. We're gonna talk about being united in prayer with the saints. Then we're gonna talk about abiding in God's word. And then we're gonna close it out, my favorite part, of being sold out, completely consumed with God's will. If you wanna jot this down super quick, we'll leave it up there for a second. But this is, this is how the text flows. And just so you know, like the, the way we do messaging here at Anchor Church, what, what we do is we start with the word of God. Because tell you what I'm not doing, I'm not just thinking, what do, what do I wanna say? And how can I make the Bible say what I want it to say? I, that, that's called eisegesis. That's, that's a huge word that means you're imposing your thoughts upon the text and trying to make it match what you want. Mag, magic eight ball approach, right? But the correct way to study God's word is exo-Jesus, from the word. And so we start with the word, and this really follows the outline of tonight. And it's really going to help you apply this message of how to discern God's will. How do I know it's God versus just me? And how do I just let go and just be sold out to his will? So you ready to dive in? All right, well, let's, let's start in verse one. We're gonna be united in prayer with the saints. And we just did it, right? We, we just got together and prayed together. And so I love doing that. We're gonna do it a lot more. I'll be honest with you, we haven't done that as much as I would like to. Um, so our leadership team was talking about that this week, just like, man, we need to, we need to have that going on in the service in different ways and different, in different uh, strategies and stuff like that. If you have ideas about how we can do that, man, share it. Uh, I'm not, we don't, we, we have not thought up all the good ideas. So please, uh, if, you, if you think of a way that would be really helpful, let us know. So, 
being united in prayer. A healthy church, let's, let's, just, let's say it as simple as possible, a healthy church is a praying church. Individually, yes, you on your own, your quiet time, your, 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 your devotion, your praying, yes, but also together. And the culture that we live in today is insanely individualistic. It is the message of the world today is be the best you. You know, it's, we've, we've pointed out a few times, you do you, not y'all do y'all. It's you do you. It's your journey. It's your life. It's self-improvement, self-help, things like that. But we're going to walk through what the early church was doing because they really weren't doing that. They really weren't just so consumed with themselves. They were together. They were gathered and that's what we're doing this evening, by the way. This is our own upper room. There were 120 that we're gonna read about tonight. There are about 65 of us to 70 on this campus tonight, everybody included. And we're gathered here for the same purposes. We're just trying to see, like, what is God saying? God, what do you want us to do? Yes, as a gathered people, as Anchor Church, but then also just in our lives as we are the church gathered and then the church scattered. So let's get in verse 12. Verse 12 together. So we said they returned to Jerusalem from where? The Mount of Olives. That's just right outside Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day journey away. That's like saying it's right around the corner. That's like their way of saying just, just around the corner. Jesus had instructed them to go and wait for the Spirit in Jerusalem. So this is huge right here. We can't just, this is one of those verses you kind of skim over and go, okay, let's get to the part about picking out the 12th man. But we gotta go here because Jesus told him to do it. You know what the early church did? They didn't forget the sermon. Jesus told him to go do it. And if you look in the Old Testament, usually what does Israel do? They'd like go the complete opposite way, right? We just went through the book of Jonah. It's like going to Tarshish. They just took a hard left. And God had a lot to say to them about that. And the church wasn't perfect. Church hasn't been perfect. But in this instance, I mean like right away, it was immediate obedience. This is what... Jesus desires for us. They put the sermon into practice. Let us not be hearers of the word, James says, but doers of the word. Lest we be hypocrites, right? That's why nobody wants to come to church. Church is filled with hypocrites. By the way, hypocrites need Jesus. And we're all hypocrites if we press ourselves into like, do any of us perfectly live out what we claim to want to live out? Of course not. But we don't aim for that. We, we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And so verse 13 says, when, when they arrived, they went to the upper room, this room upstairs where they were staying. Now, a lot of uh, biblical scholars uh, agree that, that this is likely the same upper room where Jesus had the last supper with the disciples, that they went back to that place. There's nothing in a text that says definitively this is the room, but anyone reading this around the time of the early church as Acts began to circulate in these little portable libraries called a codex, they started circulating through the churches. And as they read that, it would have instantly implied that they went back to that upper room. So what a special place to go back to, to begin to gather together. I hope it was a big room because there were 120 of them gathered in there. So it's probably hot and, you know, back then, like deodorant really wasn't a thing. So, you know, there's that. But they went to this upstairs room and then um, Luke, the author of Acts, lists out the disciples. Uh, now, it wasn't just these 11 guys. There were also others there as well. That's how we get the number 120. Now, he specifically mentions Jesus' disciples because they spent three solid years with him doing life and ministry, receiving constant teaching, mentoring, 
discipleship training, leadership training, minus Judas, who betrayed Jesus and then took his own life. More on that in a minute. Now, why? Why did they go to the upper room? Well, a couple of simple things. First of all, they'd been there, like we pointed out. <laughs> it was a familiar place. It was still available for them. But they were safe in the upper room. And they were huddled together. Guys, I, I want us to, like, it's important that we, that we feel the emotions of what the people were feeling in the Bible so that we can really understand the text on, on our, you know, so we, that we can really empathize as much as possible. They were scared. Jesus had just given them this commission. You're gonna get power. You're gonna go into the world. And how do you, I mean, let me just do a little poll here. How do you feel when God gives you something like that and his like, you're gonna do great, mighty things. You're gonna go, uh, you're gonna move mountains with your faith and all this stuff. What's, what's usually the first response when you think about getting outside of your comfort zone and living more for the kingdom and sacrificing more for the glory of God? Ooh, okay, sounds great, Lord. Right, we get scared. It's just, you know, we all do it. And they were the same way. They, they were scared in this upper room. They were waiting on the promise. They were clinging to the promise, but there was this fear. A fear of what? Well, Jesus got nailed to a cross. Who's to say they don't want, I mean, the Romans love crucifying people. Like they, they, they perfected it. The Persians invented it. The Romans perfected it. Who's to say they wouldn't just drag them all out there and just line all 120 up on their uh, Roman interstate, which is where they love to crucify people, by the way they would actually crucify people on, on the public road. So when people were traveling, they could be most humiliated, but also make an example. So they were scared they were gonna suffer the same fate. So what were they doing in that upper room? Verse 14. They were all, they all were continually united in prayer. Underline that word continually, because this isn't just something that we do one time and say, all right, cool, yeah, I was at Anchor Church Sunday and we prayed in quads and check. We're done. No, it's something we got to continually do. And we have to be united in prayer along, the text says, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is the last time Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned in Scripture. And his brothers. So Jesus' family is there. The 11 disciples that spent three years with him. The other disciples. And they were all gathered there, united. That's powerful, because there were a lot of different people in that room. And friends, there are a lot of different people in this room. We're like really different, all of us. We could go around and share our likes and dislikes and preferences and look at each other and go, what? That's not, man, how do you, how do you not like barbecue? That's like the best food in the world. You know, I, well, I, you, know you, you like olives for real? Like, I can't believe anybody likes olives. Anyway, um, if you like olives, good for you. That's great. Um, I won't tell you my nickname for them right now. Moving on. Um, they're very different. I mean, think about it, like just, just the disciples. You got uneducated fishermen, you got tradesmen, you got Simon the Zealot who just wants to kill all the Romans. He'd be fine with just assassinating everybody that, that had anything to do with the Roman uh, state. Uh, you got, um, uh, who else? We got Matthew, he used to be a tax collector. That's not a great reputation, right? We got all these different people and yet Jesus somehow gets them to function as a unit. And how are, how are the disciples... Um, how are the disciples behaving in the, in the gospel accounts? Well, if you read back through the gospels this week, you'll see that oftentimes they didn't get it. Oftentimes they argued with each other. 
Oftentimes they were just bickering about who's gonna sit at Jesus right and left and who's gonna be first and last. I mean, like they were just, they were being a bunch of kids. They were like just trying to flex on each other and just try to, and just try to impress and just try to be prideful. That's not what they're doing here. They were what? United in prayer. I want us to notice that prayer was not just some bonus item of the church. Well, if we have time, we'll pray. Or prayer is like a transitional element just in the worship service. It's just so everyone closes their eyes so we can move a mic stand over there. Hopefully that's not why we pray. It's not. Continually united. Now they're united together. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel, friends. Even though we're so different, all of us are so different, we can be united around what? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. He is Lord of all. And if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, there's a fellowship, a koinonia that we're gonna talk more about as we get into Acts chapter two. The sweet fellowship. Yeah, man, Jesus saved me too. I was a mess and he turned my life around. Doesn't, doesn't mean I'm perfect, but man, he's changed me. He's changed me too. And we encourage each other with that testimony. We bless the world with that testimony. But here's what they weren't doing. They weren't saying, oh, I'll just be fine by myself. What do I need the church for? I'll just sit at home in my jammies, eat Cheetos and watch the live stream. They didn't have live stream, but you guys know what I mean. They were, they valued the corporate nature of what they did. And I want us to value that as well. It's not just about simply attendance, it's about engagement. We said that from the beginning at Anchor Church. Engagement over attendance. We don't simply want people that just warm seats every week, but we want you guys to come we want you to hear from the Lord. We want you to experience him through his word, through worshiping him. If you'll open up your heart and worship to him, man, he will move inside your heart. I promise you he will. And if we will come again and again, just thirsty in corporate nature, just, just going, not just I come to church for me, but I come to church for the people. Man, how can I encourage someone? Like, who is God gonna use me to encourage when I, when I go Sunday, this Sunday? Ask each other how you can pray for each other, care for one another. It's not just simply an attendance event. This is not a performance. It's not a monologue. I mean, it is kind of a monologue. Y'all aren't talking right now, but, <laughs> but it's not supposed to simply be that. It's supposed to, like, I'm just trying to get us to think together more about what Jesus is saying here. So no, the early church delighted in their togetherness. Community was at the heart of God, aka the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and perfect community from eternity past to eternity future. He created us with that thirst in mind. But here's the problem. They were concerned with replacing Judas as the 12th disciple. They were rightly concerned with the advancement of the gospel. That was why they wanted to do that. They knew that they needed to have that 12th man so that there could be another witness, another apostolic witness, which means that they had been with Jesus and that they had seen the resurrected Christ, spent time with him. This this immediate authoritative witness was so important in the formation of the early church, okay? And we don't teach that that same apostolic, yes, there's apostolic gifting. Um, I do not call myself an apostle. We don't, we don't really, um, you know, it's not a part of our church culture or in the, um, you know, in the kind of denominational tribe we run in. You know, we don't, we don't use that apostle language because we believe that it's limited to this specific time, this specific place for this specific reason. And these 12 men were, were critically important. It's the same with Peter. You know, uh, you know, Catholics love to say that Peter was the first pope. 
And then whoever came after Peter was the next pope, and then the next pope, and the next pope. After that, there's, there's nothing in the text to tell us that. But Peter is listed first. He was a leader. He was important. So we have the need for the 12th disciple. And you know what they did? They weighed their decisions by whether or not the kingdom of God and the gospel could be advanced. Let me ask you a question, church. What would happen if you and I continually thought that way? Every decision in our life. Is this gonna advance the gospel? Is this going to make me more like Christ? Is this going to help glorify God? What if that was the pro and con? Versus, is this easy? Is this gonna cost me a lot of money? Is this gonna be, and that's, that's stuff we gotta think through. I mean, that's, that's, that's life, but first, does this glorify God? Does this advance the kingdom? Because I've had to make a lot of decisions in my life, I mean, just over and over and over again, where it wasn't the best thing for me. It wasn't the best thing for my bank account. If I disobeyed God at many points in my life, I would have more money in the bank account right now. He's called me to sacrifice greatly. And I don't brag about that. I'm just telling you that that is reality, that when God tells us what he wants, oftentimes it will call for a great sacrifice. And I'm worried sometimes that the church just isn't up for it. But I'm convinced this church is. You know how I know that? Because I see it, like what Dwayne was talking about a minute ago. And I see it all over the place. I could spend hours just listing for you guys just all the different ways I see it at Anchor Church. So I wanna encourage you with that. So let's look at our second insight tonight, and it's abiding in God's word. Abiding in God's word, so united in prayer, but abiding in God's word. Let me just tell you this, there's no better way to know and carry out God's will than to live, abide in his word. That's simply what abide means. It means to continue, to remain. Remember John 15, Jesus said, remain in me and I will remain in you. That's what abide means. It means to continually live. It means that like Colossians 3, 1 and 2, that, like, the Holy Spirit has put that on my mind so many times this week in so many different ways and essentially says this. I'll just paraphrase for time's sake. Set your mind on things of above, not on the earth below. Like get your mind on heaven. Get it off of earth because this is stress right here. Like news headlines, news reel, everything's falling apart. Man, just fix your eyes on Jesus. Take time to do that. And then verse two says like that my life is hidden with Christ. That if you try to untangle, like if, if this is me and this is Jesus, like we're so tangled up, you can't even tell where one ends and the other begins because we're just so unified. And that's my prayer for every one of you, that you would have that kind of relationship with God. And if you don't have that, you can have it tonight. It's not anything that you can do though to earn it. It's just his grace. You just surrender. You just say, God, I need that. I want that kind of relationship with you. Just give your life and heart to him. No magic words or formula, just a heart surrender. You can do that at any point tonight. I'm gonna invite you to at the end, but you can do it right now. <laughs> you can do it out of, out of order with whatever work, because guess what? God knows our hearts. He knows. The people who know God's will best know his word. I'll say that again. The people who know God's will best, what's God's will for your life right now? The people that can answer on a dime, they know the word. We do not get it from anywhere else. 
It is not some kind of like clairvoyance that we just have in our, like, oh man, you're just so intuitive. Like you, you, you just seem to always know. It's not some mystical thing. It's not a magic eight ball. It's from the word. And the wisdom of the word is what I said earlier, is that lamp to our feet is the light to our path. But you guys know what the biblical lamps look like, right? There were, there was little small things. They were, the, they were like this big and that, it, it would only light up this part. It wasn't gonna show you the whole, the whole landscape, the whole blueprint, it's just the next step. And that's what God's word gives us, just the next step. Because why? Because we, live by, we walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, show me that next, we, we used the breadcrumb illustration a few weeks ago. God, just give me that next breadcrumb. And then the next one, then the next one. It creates a dependence on him. So I want us to think about what God has done in 2023. And we gotta pause for a second. As a church, let me ask y'all a question. And this is, this is participatory, so don't, don't just sit there. <laughs> unless unless uh, you can't uh, identify with it or, or, you, or you're not gonna raise your hand. Here we go. How many of you have made a significant change to your personal Bible reading or study this year in, in 2023? Like you started reading for the Bible for the first time. Come on, don't, don't, don't give me this. Let's, you know, let's get it up. There, there we go. Yeah, a lot of you in the room, you know, and I'm not surprised by that. Because that's why I love having a, a small church in our earliest days. I'm like, I can close my eyes and just go, yeah, they started this and they started that. And I pray for you in that. I love it. I love seeing people take their next steps in Christ. And I'm so excited that y'all have done that. Because guys, A, it's not normal. I hope you don't think that that's normal. Like that's, that's a move of God. God is moving in this church right now. And he's not done. You have taken these next steps. So we're not just simply planting a church, but we're in the middle of of a spiritual movement, an awakening even. Two people this past week gave their lives to Christ within our church. That's exciting, right? Yeah, amen. Now there's this acronym, uh, SCAN, S-C-A-N, that you can remember as it relates to God's word. God's word is sufficient. That's the S. Clear, that's the C. The A is authoritative. I should have made a slide for this, I'm sorry. And the N is necessity. And so what does that tell us? Well, we're really focusing on the necessary part. God's word is sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary. And God has revealed everything necessary for our redemption and sanctification. So you wanna know his concealed will? Start with his revealed will. So let's look at verse 15. Let's look at what, because Peter led them in that way. This is what Peter was doing. We, we set this up because I want you to understand what's going on here. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters, about 120, he said, verse 16, brothers and sisters, it was necessary, pay attention to this part, that the scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas. So so some theology for a second. This statement highlights the inspiration of scripture. God spoke it through a human author. Does that mean we can trust the Bible? Absolutely. Because God is perfectly able. Again, that's the C of the acronym I just gave you, the clarity of scripture. God is perfectly able, perfectly able to communicate clearly, perfectly, authoritatively through man. Even though we're a bunch of screw ups, yeah, it's pretty amazing, okay? because we're not always the best filter to work through. In fact, I would have selected some other better filters, but God knows better than us, doesn't he? And he's powerful and he can do that and it's amazing. 
So he says the Spirit spoke through David as a mouthpiece. That's amazing. 2 Peter 1.20 through 21 says this, above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture, is the slide up there? Hey, Adam, can we, can we put verse 20 up there? Can we do the next one? I just wanna make sure they can read it. There we go. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation and all God's people said. If anybody's just making this stuff up, hey guys, this is, this is what I say to you. No, who cares what you say? I wanna know what God says. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by who? The Holy Spirit. So when we read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Yes, through godly men who, who wrote this stuff down. And it's amazing, the more I study it, the more I just am so encouraged by the reliability of scripture. The more classes I've taken on it in my education, the more I just trust God's word because it's amazing to see how he's preserved it. So it's God's book. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 18, this man, Judas, acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. So what, so what happened? Well, just a little recap. Judas betrayed Jesus for the price of, anybody remember how many? 30 pieces of silver, all right? Which sounds like a lot, maybe. It wasn't really. Definitely was not worth the price that he would ultimately pay. Judas is filled with remorse. Judas goes back to the chief priests and elders. He, he throws the money back at him. He says, look, I messed up. I betrayed an innocent man. I mean, he acknowledges his sin. And Judas could have repented and followed Christ, but he didn't. He didn't finish well. And it's just a quick encouragement. When, when we repent, we have to finish well. It's not, and let me just also say this. It's not on the message, so I have to, like, just 15 seconds Repentance is not simply just admitting we've done something wrong. That's not repentance. That's guilt. It's an appropriate feeling when we sin. But we must turn from the sin, turn away from it. We must have a heart change. Ask God to expose our hearts. God, search me. See if there be any grievous way within me. Lead me in your way everlasting. And then Judas takes his own life. He killed himself. He hung himself. And then the scripture says, continuing in verse 18, he falls head first. This doesn't mean our, like, like our English head first. It basically just means that, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna get into that part, but it doesn't literally mean he fell head first. He hung himself how, how you would imagine that, but he fell in such a way where there were rocks beneath, his body burst open, his intestines spilled out. Everybody knew about it. And in Jewish culture, if that sort of thing happened in a place, I almost tripped there. You didn't go near it. They nicknamed it the field of blood. It was blacklisted and nobody ever went there again because the Jews were really uh, freaked out about anything that had to, I mean, like you couldn't touch it, like all, all these regulations and stuff. It would have kept them from the temple. And so that's why they include this because people would have went, ooh, yeah. For it's written in the book of Psalms. Look, look at verse 20 here. Let his dwelling become desolate. Let no one live in it. Let someone else take his position. So Peter is, is sharing here, and he's using two Psalms to rationalize. Number one, what happened to Judas? He applies Psalm 69 to Judas. We're gonna give you more on that. For those of you that are in community group, you're gonna be able to work through that. We're gonna have you read both these Psalms and dig in a little deeper. We don't, we don't have time during the message. But Psalm, Psalm 69, 25 is applied to Judas. Psalm 109.8 is used as a rationale. That, that's the second part. If you notice the little footnote, the little letter in your Bible there, the little reference. 
Psalm 109.8 is used as a rationale for finding a replacement for Judas. What's significant about that? Man, that's a lot of information, bro. What's, what's significant about that? That Peter used the word of God to help inform how they were going to do this thing, select this 12th man. They only did it because the word of God led them to do it. May we be the same way. May our lives be led by his word. Maybe look to our Bibles to make sense of this dark, confusing world. Let's move on. 21, therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us through the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John till the day was taken up from us, from among these, it's necessary that one become a witness with us to his resurrection. And here's the deal. By filling Judas's office, the church was acknowledging, again, we'll say this just, just for a reminder, the church, the church was valuing the need for key eyewitness testimony to the gospels in the day immediately following Jesus' ascension. They valued the apostolic role greatly, which was to provide immediate authoritative leadership in the ways in the early church's days when the church was being established. But let's finish tonight by talking about being sold out to God's will. Write that down. That's our third key observation tonight, our third key truth. I'm calling us as a church to be sold out to the will of the Lord. So they proposed two guys. You got Joseph, who's also called Barsabbas, also called Justice, which is more of his Greek name. And then Matthias, who apparently didn't have a bunch of different names. <laughs> they, they only called him one thing. So you got Justice and Matthias, just to make it simple, two guys. So what do we do? Well, what did, what did they do, guys? Verse 24, they prayed. They were united in prayer. There, there we go. And they make this, this declaration here that I, is so good for us to make tonight. Lord, you know everyone's hearts. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Jesus had this heart. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus prayed and kneeled in the garden on the night he was betrayed. He was anxious about what was happening to him on the cross, so much that he sweated blood. And as he kneeled before the Father, just the Son and the Father, just having a, just having a dialogue before the most important event in human history, he says to his father, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And this is a prayer that you can memorize. This is a prayer I find myself leaning on in hard times. I go, God, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really want this to happen, but if this is your will, then I'm, then I'm, I'm here. But I need you to accomplish your will, not mine, but may yours be done. So here's what they did. They were certain of God's sovereignty. Write that down tonight. A certainty of God's sovereignty. That is what undergirds being sold out to his will. Why? Because God's will has been planned, friends. God's not making it up as he goes along. He's not flying by the seat of his pants. He's, he's got a plan. And so if God's already got this plan, he's sovereign, sovereign, like he rules and reigns over everything. It's his authority, his plan, his will, his glory. They trusted in him. They said, Lord, you know, 
You know, God, and that has given me so much peace in my life. I offer that to you as a truth that you can embrace for yourself. If you're confused right now, if you're struggling with a decision you have to make, if you don't know what you're gonna do next, guess what? That's okay. You know why? Because he knows. And you can, you can keep stressing out about it yourself, but I invite you to trust that he knows and lean on him. Not your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. Let us be completely consumed with the will of God, church. You up for that? Be completely consumed with the will of God. Not divided, like James says, like the person that doubts, tossed, tossed by the wind and waves of doubt. And he's a, he's a divided, double-minded man. He's just never quite settled in on God's will, on God's sovereignty. Man, let's put that away. Let's just come around the will of the Lord to say, God, my yes is on the table. Speak, O oh Lord, your servant is listening. That's some scary stuff right there at first. The first time you say that, God, my yes is on the table. <laughs> Make it clear and I'll obey. I invite you to pray that tonight because there's no better way to live. I spent a couple, I wasted a couple decades of my life doing what I wanted to do. It overpromised and underdelivered. You will always live a more joyful and fulfilled life with the life that God has planned for you. It will not be easier. I can promise you that. It will not be easier but it will be better. Just like Jesus, the early church was sold out to the perfect will of God. So that's my challenge to us, church, my encouragement. If we're sold out to the will of God, the promise of Christ in Matthew 16 will be fulfilled because he's faithful. I will build my church, says the Lord Jesus. And we'll stand upon that rock of Christ. And no matter what storm will come, we will be safe in his arms. We will be secure upon the rock of ages. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray for every heart in this room. God, you know every heart. You know our, our fears, our insecurities, our pains, our struggles. Tonight, Lord, I know there are some here that are just really wrestling, wrestling with decisions that they're thinking through right now, Lord, and they need your guidance. I can't do anything really to help them, Lord, other than to invite them to turn to you for help, to your word, to be united in prayer with the saints, and then just to be committed, consumed, with zeal for the will of God, the plan of God above our own. So God, I pray for anyone tonight that needs that direction and light, that clarity from your word. I pray that already you have made it clear to them. And Lord, that you would just remind them that through the whole process and through every struggle, God, that your presence is our peace. The fact that you are with us, it makes all the difference. You're not simply a God we read about, 
or just some set of principles that we, just some, some philosophy that we assent to. Lord, you are a real Savior. You are the same God. From the pages of the Old Testament, the pages of the New Testament, all the way to now. God, I pray for those tonight that need a relationship with you. Lord, for those that would acknowledge, yes, I'm a sinner and I need to be reconciled to God, I pray that they would turn from their sin tonight and trust in you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior, that they would believe upon you, your death upon the cross, what you accomplished on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to pay for our sin, take our punishment for us and give us everlasting life, the free gift of salvation. I pray that someone tonight would receive it because you've already paid the price, Lord. I pray that they would call upon your name for salvation. And I pray that when they do, they take that card near them and they would mark, I gave my life to Christ tonight so that we can follow up, so we can celebrate with them. We can help them take their next steps. Whatever needs are in the room, God, we're gonna respond to you now. Just please speak to our hearts. Be so clear, be so gracious to us. Be near us. We lift all this up in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, church. Let's stand together. Let's sing this song in response. We're gonna sing about blessed assurance. Because that's, that's what God desires for all of us. It's not, a, it's not a maybe. It's what he's accomplished. We can have assurance of eternity, assurance of his presence with you. If you have that assurance, man, just worship him tonight. If you need the assurance, man, just sit down or kneel down or come up front and like, let's just pray around that. Just say, God, I want that assurance. I don't have it, but if you'll give it to me, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. Just surrender yourself to him tonight. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.